Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. I am excited to welcome my guest today, Glenn Zweig, host of the top global podcast, The Art of Excellence, where he interviews extraordinarily successful people who have accomplished extraordinary success in their lives. And guests include entrepreneurs, CEOs, athletes, Al Roker, entertainers, pioneers and authors, and amazing folks like Deepak Chopra, Steve Case, and Neil deGrasse Tyson. In his day job, Glenn is a leadership advisor with Egon Zender with a focus on digital fintech and digital health-enabled services, helping them scale by finding the best talent. I guess we'll call you a recruiter. I don't know if that's a dirty word these days. No, it works for me. (laughs) (laughs) We'll unpack Glenn's career and get into more about his awesome podcast. So let's do this. Glenn, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Glad to be a part of it. How does it feel sitting on the other side of the mic? uh, I like being on that side of the mic. (laughs) I I, I enjoy it. There is a part of it that there is a a control element of it that I, I like and uh but at the same time i you know I, it's it's fun to be on this part of the mic too because i've listened to your show and you do a great job so thank you and, and i appreciate that and we'll get to your podcast in a little bit because it's absolutely incredible i have a lot to talk about but as i mentioned in our in our pre-chat you know i like to focus on careers and how people mm-hmm. got to where they are here and we go back to the early days and one of your first job was a strategic planner and analyst at the walt disney company First and foremost, was Disney always on your wish list from a career perspective, or how did you land the job at Disney? Yeah, I mean, so that was out of undergrad, and this is back during the time when it was run by Michael Eisner, and then he had a number two, Frank Wells, and it was considered, A, one of the best-run companies in the world, and I figured if I'm going to start my career, start at a place where you can learn from the best. But I've always been driven off of you know, what I find, I, I follow my passion and I wanted something that felt really exciting um, and creative and innovative. And so the part at Disney that I was at was their Imagineering group, which is the theme park development group. And so this is where you've got all the creative artists and engineers and architects uh, designing the future rides and attractions around that the world. And so, yeah, I mean, it was the most fascinating place I've ever been at, you know, to this day. And so that, that's what drew me to it, which is to be around something that felt really fun um, and game changing. And so that was uh, what was behind that first move. Do they make you sign like some crazy NDA where you can't divulge all the secrets of what they're building? And creating? Oh yeah. They have to. Oh yeah. You're, you're, you're sworn to blood. You have to go up to the, that Walt Disney statue in Orlando and 
you know, put your finger on the uh, on the on Mickey's hand, something like that. I've heard. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. He, no, <laughs> they, I mean, they, these people were some of the most talented people I've ever worked with. And they all they all had like side jobs. So I remember this one guy. Mm-hmm. Well, so. so uh, like, not like side uh, hustles like now. Right. Yes. Yeah. Side hustles. So there's this one guy member um, that I met that worked at Imagineering, the R&D group. And his side hustle was he was a, um, a what do you call it, a magic trick designer. He so the illusions in the tricks. Yes, David Copperfield's tricks. David doesn't design his tricks. David knows what he wants to convey in a show element. Oh, I want to make the Statue of Liberty disappear. He doesn't know how to the, do that. The technical elements to it. The technical element. That's what this guy did on the side. And so a lot of these people. They, they just had such enormous talent that they could it? go and do all these things outside of their day jobs. So it was, it was incredible. Creative, it was that creative mindset. And what would you say, you know, looking back then was the, the biggest lesson that you learned in, in that first job working at a tremendous organization, uh, global behemoth as far as creativity, hospitality, but a well-run organization. What did you learn there that you have taken with you throughout your career? That's a great question. Well, at a place like Imagineering, where you're creating future parks and attractions. What do you think drives that organization? Is it the creative talent or is it the finance guy, the strategy guy, me? Um, I am absolutely uh, in the uh, not even second fiddle. I'm, I'm third or fourth. So this is a organization, not just at Imagineering, but across the company that was driven by its creative talent. So how do you, as the person that's supposed to make sure that you make money with these parks and attractions, mm-hmm. how do you work with people that the last thing they want to do is being constrained by you and your financial models and your idea Don't of, tell of me how I to can't make money? Spend on that. That's exactly it, Adam. Yeah. Don't tell me I can't spend on that. Who are you? I could have you fired tomorrow. <laughs> so really learning how do you, and today this is, a, I know you do a lot of recruiting as well. I mean, what's one of the most important things? How do you influence without direct authority? How do you get alignment uh, in an organization? And that was the most important thing in the world because I came in probably quite a bit too arrogant and full of myself that if I knew the answer, that therefore, you know, the data is the data, right? Here's the financials. I'll show you guys why you can't spend this much. It doesn't matter. And so you have to learn how do you get people to adopt you, to, to how do you bring people along? How do you get them to see you as a partner and someone that could help them, not hinder them, not be a cop? And that was something that I won't say that I, I got it right away. It took me a while. Uh, it, it took me a while to realize that I was being excluded from meetings, that they were doing things anyway, that I wasn't getting my way to realize that, you know, what's that definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over. And, and I realized that either I had to change or I probably wouldn't be along uh, all that much longer. What, are, what a huge lesson. What a huge lesson to learn. And those are critical foundational building blocks as we as we grow in our career. And you had a couple of roles, you know, after Disney and e-commerce, customer acquisition and biz dev. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's was it always a goal of yours to start and run your own company? When did that kernel start to pop? I think around 12 years old. <laughs> I, I, I was I don't know what's behind it, uh, but I've always just been you know wired from a young age. I, maybe because I was so competitive, I think um, there felt something, something felt very powerful around having a business and 
you know, being the, you know, the king of the mountain, if you will. And I was just always drawn to it, to being an entrepreneur, to being your own boss, to doing something, uh, you know, really big and being larger than life. And so uh, I, I think I was reading business books uh, starting around 12, 13 years old when everyone else is, you know, reading the fun, uh, you know, kids novels and stuff. That's what I was reading. And so it was always planted in me, um, you know, at that time. Tell us about Health Stop. Was that was that your first your first company that you started? Yeah, Health Shop. So health that Shop, yeah, no, no, it's it's fine. I mean, that was so. This is you know late nineties. One point um, It one point Negative point one. And 0.5. right, exactly, exactly. So all the millennials listening, will you can only read about this in the history books. So I, I felt like this was a rare opportunity where there was a lot of capital. I'm chasing good ideas. And I felt like after a couple of startups I'd worked for, I had enough of a sense of what to do that I could give it a shot myself. And why not? Why not, you know, just sort of jump off the cliff. It's always easy to analyze why you shouldn't do something. It's much harder to say, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. And, Absolutely. and so, uh, you know, this was around, uh, uh it was sort of a, uh, a natural health, alternative living kind of website selling supplements and uh, natural products and whole foods and and having not just commerce but content wrapped around it with a strong community and it felt like no one was doing that and there was a huge opportunity and I felt like we could use the the platform to create a real a real learning environment and a community around people that want to engage with healthy living and alternative lifestyles and I was fascinated by the space, and so I raised a lot of money. I built up a team, and you know, off to the races. I believe you raised. I think the number was thirty-two million. What did you learn about fundraising early on? Well, uh, some of the challenges. Of yeah, I mean, I, I honestly. I mean, it, were there fronts it, and family it, rounds? Were you going out pitching? No, I was pitching, and you know, it looks so easy from the outside looking in. Uh, because everyone was raising money. And to be honest, I, I figured it'll be essential. I'll write a good business plan. I'm a smart guy. I'd come out of a good business school. I can do this. Um, it took me a little over, I want to say about a year and a half. I probably, if I counted, had somewhere around 120, 130 rejections. I went through all my savings. I went through, I think, three credit cards. I was literally down to my last nickel. And... I had finally gotten, um, I, I was about to wave the white flag. I had to, at this point, get a job. I had a job offer. The offer, I blew it off for three weeks. They said, we have to have an answer this Friday or else, I'm sorry, we've got to move on with another candidate. And so um, I told this one last, this very last final investor that I had, that I had to have an answer at Thursday night or I'd be moving on. And, and so America. I think it was just shy of midnight Thursday uh, when uh, we shook hands um, to raise the first capital in the company. Yeah, it, it really, it, it <laughs> you know, it it that's chapter one of my memoir if I ever get around to it. But it really did unfold like you would think. Uh, that's you know, crazy. It would, it's right, right, out of, right out of a movie. And I think that's a piece that is not talked about enough. You know, everyone just sees the glamour of these 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 uh, unicorn tech companies with these crazy valuations these days. But even with those, there's a ton of rejection. They didn't get to there's that. a ton of rejection. You and, only and see that 1%, yeah. right? That tip of the iceberg. You don't oh, see yeah. the 99.9% of startups that fail. 
I'm just almost guess. all of them, ninety nine point nine percent. And and I will tell you this. So so lesson one is just simply you know tenacity. You you it it's uh, to this day I don't want to pretend like it's easy for me to get rejected. Uh, even the good guests I get on my podcast, I probably get seven or eight no's for every one yes that I get. And uh, it's never easy, but you have to learn to just deal with it and move on. And so it's otherwise, you, you, you know, otherwise, personal. yeah, because otherwise, I mean, eight or 10 no's into it, you just call it quits. That was one uh, lesson learned. The other was the investor that finally, uh, you know, signed the term sheet the night uh, before I was calling it quits. This wasn't a typical venture firm. They were very focused around health and education and mission-driven companies. And I say this because almost every investor I'd gone out previously had been focused just around tech and internet and chasing big things. They could care less about any he mission you had. About what you're working on. He actually cared about what we were doing. in your success more than just financially. He had a huge vested interest. All of his portfolio had to do around things that were bettering society. And that was the part. Of, not that he didn't want to have a return on the investment, but that was really a secondary to the primary. And so I don't think I spent enough time thinking about investors that were truly aligned with what I was trying to do. And I probably I should have thought about that sooner. Let's talk about the exit. What was mm-hmm. that decision like? What were those, those elements of the thought process that said, now's the time? The opportunities here, time to punch out. So I'm going to give you the honest uh, uh, what happened here, please. Um, no, we don't because want to it, it, it's easy to spin, <laughs> and I'm not going to I'm not going to spin it. So uh, if you go back to the very tail end of 1999, uh, this was December, about a week before Christmas, I was being pitched, literally being pitched by about a half a dozen investment banks that wanted to take us public. That was the timing. And we selected two or three that were going to compete for our business. And then for those that know how the history uh, played out, I'd say within about 30 days of those meetings, the uh, public markets pretty much closed off to any kind of consumer, e-commerce, .com, anything, uh, remotely resembling something in that space had no access to the public markets. So there goes that avenue. Around that time, we were approached by about a half a dozen strategic acquirers that were interested in the platform we built up. And I I still remember the discussion from a couple of them, which was, Glenn, we're interested. We don't want to waste a lot of time, so we want to be sure we can get alignment on valuation before we start spending time. And I said, I get it. What are you thinking? And they said, it's going to be somewhere between a quarter billion and $400 million. And if you're looking for a billion-plus valuation, you know, it's not going to happen. Now, we can sort of smile now and say, wow, that sounds amazing. But you have to understand everything is relative. Of course. And it actually did feel disappointing relative to all these billion, multi-billion dollar companies out there. Um, but I recognized that um, the markets were starting to turn and capital was freezing up. And so let's go ahead and, and go that route. Pull the trigger. Um, I, I still owned about 20% of the company. So you could do the math. I would have done quite well even from that range. Well, 
these are all public companies, Adam, that were going to be using public stock, their own stock, to, of course, acquire a company. Well, what do you think was happening with those companies, public stock, during this time? They were all in a free fall, every one of them. So oh, companies that were worth, yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, companies worth two, three, four billion dollars suddenly were worth a billion, 800 yeah, million, 500 cap, billion. Yeah. They all tumbled, not 10 or 20%, I mean 50%, 80%. So all of those companies put all of their acquisitions on hold because they couldn't do it. They had to hunker down and uh, ensure that they could even survive to live another day. So um, at that point, we realized it wasn't going to happen through any of these internet companies. And um, so we said, well, let's find a company, a real company, that's actually in this space, in this case, uh, in the nutraceutical space, mm-hmm. the supplement space, that has manufacturing, that's in grocery stores and GNC and that kind of thing. And we found one of those companies and they didn't have any kind of internet presence and they saw that synergy. It was a nice fit. Yeah, it was a logical It was a logical fit. It was fine. It wasn't anything uh, where, you know, I've I've got, uh, I'm doing this interview in my uh, third house in Hawaii, you know, (laughs) sipping sipping daiquiris. And so it was an exit, but certainly wasn't the dream exit. Yeah. So, I mean, afterwards, you spent some time consulting and fast forward. How the, I, it's such a great question to ask because us in the recruiting business, it's always interesting to hear the journey. But how did you fall into recruiting? Well, so there's a, a couple interim steps there. Um, and so the, the first one was I thought about. I still had this entrepreneurial itch, Adam. I really, really wanted to keep scratching it, but I didn't want something quite as crazy as technology. So I thought maybe real estate would be an interesting platform. So I actually got a job developing high-rise condominium projects, which it seems like far removed from the world of technology, and it was from a platform perspective. But being a developer, what are you doing? You're conceiving a plan, you're raising money, you're building a team, you're overseeing development, design, development, sales, marketing. So very similar to building a company, uh, just using bricks instead of using you know digital uh, paintbrush, if you will. And so that was the next chapter, but that you know that led right into the 2008 crash the same way yeah. I led right into the 2000 crash. And so... I said, you know what, I really want to find a way to leverage all of these learnings, all of these different experiences in helping. The two things I like about recruiting is it's a two-sided equation, as you know. You're helping candidates further their careers, which gives me a lot of personal satisfaction. And you're also helping clients solve an important organizational gap to help them get to the next level. And I love both parts of the equation. And I felt like I had built teams myself. I've done a lot of bad hiring. I've made a lot of stupid uh, mistakes. You take those lessons. And you take those lessons mm-hmm. and you carry it forward. And I felt like this is something where I can help companies grow through people and I can help people continue in their careers. And I'll, and I'll tell you something. I didn't care that much about the people part of the equation earlier in my career. I, I didn't. I was too into myself. And I thought coming out of business school, you know, the world is all about whoever has the best strategy. 
right? The best strategy wins the day. And then I said, oh, you know, it's not strategy, it's brand. The best brand is, is going to win the day. And, oh, you know what? It's, it's all about operations and on and on and on, right? And, and you know, and eventually you realize, wait a minute. I mean, it's the people behind any right. of those things. And I, I way, way rather have an A team with a B opportunity than a B team with an A opportunity because the A team is going to take that B opportunity and rethink it oh, and change it and, and turn it into something incredible. And so it's, it's taken me a lot of years, a lot of sort of bumping into trees to understand that that's truly what really drives success. And so that's got, that's what took me into much more of this uh, people journey. And, and speaking in the line of people, you uh, continue to mentor part of tech stars. What has been the biggest takeaway for you? I mean, you give so much to people, but you know, when you mentor, you're getting something in return. What is it that you're getting in return for mentorship? I, I, I'd venture to guess I get more out of mentoring than my mentees get um, out of it for me. It just feels really good to pay it forward. It does. I, I don't need... I, I don't need to be compensated. I don't need to have something in return. It feels good to distill your wisdom. And again, not just here's all the things I've done that's great. Here's all the things I've done that you should avoid because I made the mistakes and you shouldn't make them. And so it just feels good to help people that have are, are walking through the journey that you walked through you know, decades earlier. And I find it very rewarding. Yeah, what's the point of keeping all that knowledge and wisdom on the inside if you can't if you if you can't share? I, I I love it, and it's really been you know recently. I mean, I've always had like elements of mentorship, but it's really been the last couple of years that I've taken a couple of folks under my wing, either in the recruitment side of the business, entrepreneurship, um, or podcasting, and really shared that experience because I'm lucky. I'm surrounded by, I've not only surrounded, but I've taken the initiative to build an incredible tribe of mentors around me in different capacities life, um, uh, fatherhood, how to be a better man, how to be better business, specifically in recruiting, and found all those pieces to surround myself with. So let's shift gears and let's dig into the Art of Excellence podcast. How, how, did, how did the idea come? When was that first itch, Glenn, where you're like, you know what, I want to start a podcast. Let's go back. Yeah, so... You know, I, I guess, Adam, what do you do when, from the age of 12, you you have this North Star shining its light, pointing you toward this future business success, and you go to top schools, you go to a world-class company like Disney, you go to Silicon Valley, you start your own company, you go into real estate. We, by the way, we didn't even talk about Goldman Sachs. I was also a financial advisor along the way. And you go through all of these industries, all of these opportunities, chasing success. And, and what do you do when you wake up one day in your late 40s on the cusp of 50 and realize you haven't really achieved it? And that's at least how I felt myself. And I said, well, Maybe what I should do is study others and learn from others' success. And I, I thought, you know, that could be not just educational for me, but educational and hopefully inspiring to a lot of other people. 
uh, because everyone has a different journey that got them to where they are. But I want to take a pause on that word success because when I started it, I riffed on that word success and thought about all the different permutations around it for a title for the show. And here's the problem I had with it. Success, I think, in most people's minds has a connotation around money, wealth, wealth, fame, et cetera. What about the happiness quotient? Exactly. What about happiness? Uh, And what about just feeling like you've pushed yourself, even if it doesn't work, just fulfillment, all these things. And so I thought, you know what? Excellence. Excellence is, I think, a much better word because you define it the way you want to define it with what's important to you. And I'll define it how I want to define it. So I, I leave every podcast. The last question is, what's your definition of the word excellence? And everyone has a different thought around what it means to them. And I thought that is more what I want the show to be about, which is people pushing boundaries, people pushing themselves, people finding joy and fulfillment and contentment. And yes, there are plenty of billionaire entrepreneurs I've interviewed. There are plenty of people that are very famous. There are a lot of people that you've never heard of, Mm -hmm. but they have accomplished just incredible things in their lives. And to me, they're every bit as important as, uh, as the next person. I want to rewind going back to when you started to answer this question. Up until this point, did you not feel that you were successful? I mean, if you look back at your career, I mean, you've built companies, you've sold them, you've worked at some tremendous organizations. You mentioned that, did you not feel success on the inside? No. And, and no. Why, why, why did you feel like this podcast was going to be your, your, your culmination to help you achieve that success? I mean, is it, is it the ability to surround yourself and, and build something? Was, what was missing? Well, I think it comes back to how we define that word. And I define that word success in a way that that didn't give me a chance to really accept what I have done in life and feel good about it. But what you about know, right now? It, it, it's all about framing. I, I feel a lot better right now. Can, can I share a quick story 100%. that helped me reframe this? So um, I was interviewing for um, an assistant. Um, as you know, it's, it's a crazy busy life. We, we live uh, with our day jobs, not to mention the podcast on the side. So I was interviewing for an assistant. And when we were wrapping up, I turned it over to her and said, do you have any questions? She said, yeah, I have one question. Can you please share your life's journey with me? You know, I, I said, sure. And I sort of went through in a somewhat self-deprecating manner. You know, I, I went through the world of startups in Silicon Valley, but, you know, that wasn't successful. And then I was doing these 100 million real estate developments. But, but you know, then that market crashed and I was at Goldman Sachs, but that didn't really pan out. And, you know, on and on and on. And, uh, and you know, so as you can see, you know, you wouldn't be working for someone that's exactly, you know, hit it out of the park. And she just sort of sat there, you know, in silence for a few seconds. I mean, it felt like minutes. And she said, wow. And I said, wow. What what do you mean, wow? She goes, like, 
you're a true renaissance man. I said, what, what are you talking about? She goes, all of those lives you lived, you, you, you worked at Disney, it, it, you, you built companies in Silicon Valley, you were doing these huge skyscrapers and at Goldman Sachs. You're, I mean, she goes, oh my God, you've lived like six lives in one. That's incredible. And I'll try not to choke up now because it, 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 uh, you, it really choked me up at the time. And I actually went home that night and, and, uh, you know, had a good cry because it, it felt somewhat, um, shameful perhaps that it took a complete stranger that I've known for all of 45 minutes to, to frame my life in such a way that I could never do myself. And I said, wow, like, I have had a lot of exciting things in my life, and why am I so fixated on measuring that, you know, enjoyment around the sort of financial endgame from it all? And why can't it just be about all the journey and journeys that I've experienced over my lifetime? And so that really a great story. opened my eyes and, and woke me up a little bit. And, and thank you so much for sharing that. And it's it's crazy when we're so fixated on our thought of a definition of what something means to us, but it really takes an outside perspective. And someone that you just met, not even people that are close to us, right? Because you surround yourself with people, your mom, your family, your spouses. Oh, you're great. You're doing a great job. You know, they, they, they praise you. And it's false. And then you have this preconceived notion of what success is, and you, you get trapped in it in your head. But it takes someone else on the outside to reframe it. That's 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 absolutely incredible. Um, and I know for me, you know, he mentioned something. My show is my canvas. My show is my master class. My show is my MBA, my my postgraduate degree, my doctorate. I learned through osmosis, and I've had the opportunity to interview some amazing guests from entrepreneurship. You've had some. I mean, we'll talk about the founder of AOL, Blackstone, Whole Foods, Wikipedia, Honesty. I mean, actors, comedians. The list goes on and on. Al Roker. I had to just throw Al Roker in there. Al's <laughs> the, the story of him shitting himself at the White House is still a great one. I don't know if you got into that with him. But no. Oh, man. It's, <laughs> I wish it's, I did. He sharded in the White House. It's a story for another time. It's, we'll pause on that one. But the one that stood out to me, uh, episode 70 with John Mackey, the, the founder and CEO of Whole Foods, uh -huh. really started off a little slow, but then it started going, right? It really got into it. And the part that fascinated me was his self-awareness once he started to take accountability for his failures. When he, start, when he was on the verge of being kicked out by the board. I mean, that's, just, that's when for me, I was like, wow, okay. This guy has been the pinnacle of success, kind of trapped in this mindset of everything, you know, going in the right direction. And all of a sudden the board, you know, it caused him to, to take some accountability and refocus and, and reframe it. Uh, absolutely incredible. If you could go back and look at your shows and that you've done, was there maybe one or two guests and specific moments that really stood out to you where you said, aha, Wow, I never thought of that. That's going to reframe my thinking on this particular area for myself. Hmm. We sit there. Well, that, the, I, yeah. There's the, a host, and there's so many aha moments. And it's funny, like I know for myself, and this is what we call air cover to allow a guest to think about it, everyone listening mm -hmm. at home. But when, when, <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm watching my replay mm -hmm. and I could see my facial expression, and be like, like, oh shit, right. Like, oh wow, that's, that's interesting. Hmm. No, it's a fantastic question. I mean, I, I tend to, I, I really like when people go through major transformations in their own lives and they have 
I guess, an awakening because that sort of makes me think about, I guess, the awakening that, you know, I've had. So you mentioned John Mackey and the experience, you know, he had. Uh, I remember somebody interviewed uh, Christian Picciolini. Uh, he was one of the biggest leaders of the biggest white supremacist group uh, in the country. And you say, well, why would you interview someone like that on the art of excellence? Well, because he sort of woke up one day and realized he had just gotten on a completely wrong path and renounced that group, renounced the whole movement, and understood that the reason he got into it wasn't because he had anything against blacks or Jews. It's because it was a chance for his voice to be heard. He didn't have anyone that cared about him. He didn't feel like he was part of anything. And that's, um, they, they got him at a very vulnerable time in his life. And so years later, when he realized that's what it was that got him into it and he got out of it, he then decided, I'm going to devote the rest of my life to eradicating hate and helping others get out of it just like I did and hopefully preempting people from even getting into it to begin with to have the wherewithal to understand that what you've done is wrong and hurtful and to recognize the error of your way and then to devote yourself to righting a wrong, I just thought Completely. was, was, you know, incredible. And I'll share one other one, which is, um, Chris Beck, who went into the Navy SEALs and was, I think got to till uh, SEAL, uh, team six, which is, you know, the baddest of the bad. And, you know, this is the right, most Bin Laden crew. Yeah. Yeah. That, everything, right. This is, and just to get into the Navy SEALs is the right. One of the toughest rites of passage you're ever going to find. And he was highly decorated, uh, served, uh, you know, I think in at least one, if not a couple wars came out of this thing. And then once he left, he realized what he had been, hiding underneath and finally allowed himself to come out and he was no longer Chris Beck. He was Kristen Beck and came out transgender, which is who he, you know, she really always Always was was. and somehow was trying to, you know, brush it under the rug. And let me think about the most male testosterone. Yeah. What could be the most extreme? It's the exactly the extreme opposite. And, uh, and realize that what am I doing? And this is my life. And we've got one time around and that took a lot of courage. I think more courage to come out than it did to go into the Navy SEALs and, and go into battle. And so I just find those kind of transformational points in people's journeys, really eye opening, And it sort of helps me feel good about my thinking about how I reframe myself and my journey and my life. I know, I know it's probably a tough question, but like if you had to pinpoint one favorite episode, do you have one? My answer is always the last episode. <laughs> That's a good answer. I'm going rem- to remember that one because you also don't want to make that guess like, oh, why wasn't my episode the favorite, right? Not that any- I, <laughs> I, 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 I honestly, um, I know I say that a little bit tongue in cheek, but I, I love them all. And I always, um, so, so the last one, uh, 
was Ed Stafford, who was the first person that to ever awesome. walk the distance mm-hmm. of the Amazon. It took him over two years, over 4,000 miles. That was a good one. And, oh, I mean, he, he, yeah, he could have, it. should have died. I mean, it's absolutely insane what he went through. Walking, walking, walk. Let, let's frame that up for everybody. And I want everyone to check out this episode because he gets into some great stories in it. Um, not in a boat. But imagine just walking five steps on the, the 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 animals, the fish, all the dangers, the snakes. I mean, it's crazy shit. Yeah, and there's no path. I no. mean, you have to basically use a machete to carve your path, assuming you're not crossing through waters, you know, gator-infested waters and what have you. I mean, it's absolutely insane. Had you know, had uh, angry tribes tribes people with bows and arrows and guns pointed at them at one point. Uh, you know, it was right. held this at isn't the jungle, This isn't the Jungle Cruise in Disney, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring it full circle here, right? There we go, right? It's and, not the uh, hippo spitting water out of its mouth at you. These are the real natives. It, it, <laughs> it was crazy. So, you know, so there's always the story, and then there's the story behind the story. So, of course, just the, the sheer resilience that it took to do that uh, was incredible. But then it's more about his getting to know himself. Like, he was insecure as a child because he was adopted, so a lot of his early years were trying to find a way to prove himself, uh, you know, to his father and to probably others that he was worthy. And so it's always interesting to understand what drives people's and what's behind their motivation. And so that's part of what I really enjoy that's, about these experiences. And that's, and that's the, 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 the heart of a good podcast host. Not just the superficial, the surface level stuff, but, but digging in and asking those questions. And you do it so well. Glenn, what, what's your what's your secret to booking some of these great guests? Please share with me. Like, do you have an idea? Like, I want this person, or I mean, you're getting. I assume you're getting a lot of inbound these days. Yeah, too. I mean, I, I I like to, as you see, I like to cross domains, so I don't want it to be skewed all toward business or all toward any one thing. I want adventure. I want athletes. I want entertainers. I want. You know, I also like people that are sort of operating behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I interviewed one of the best. Uh, Hollywood stunt doubles um, in the business. You never heard of the guy's name, uh, but makes uh, a ton of money too. <laughs> you know, but 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 he he's one of the best at it, and so I so I like to cross domains, and I just think about who are people that would interest me, and hopefully, if they interest me, where I can learn something from their journey that it'll engage my audience as well. But in terms of um, a going back to my point earlier is you have to be willing to get five rejections or seven rejections for every one. Yes, that's you know that's part of it. But I think also, so you mentioned uh, John Mackey, for example. He was on a podcast just prior to mine, and I won't mention which podcast it was, but let's just say this is one of the biggest podcasts uh, in the world, uh, an audience a hundred times the size of mine, and he made the comment that he enjoyed mine a lot more because it was clear. I read his book. I knew his story. I knew his platform. I knew what's important to him. I asked really thoughtful probing questions and he felt like it was a really, really nice experience for him. And I think a lot of these guests don't have the time, aren't all that interested. And he saw the difference. And so I think a lot of people will go in and maybe listen to snippets of what I've done and, or, or their publicist will, or their manager will. Like and they're like, yeah, this guy is like, goes really deep and he does the homework. And I, I'd like to think that I think the quality of the content is a lot of what drives the interest from others. And I've had people 
remark um, that exactly. So that that feels good as a host because that's that shows that you're doing the work and you care. And I tell everybody because now these days it's so in fashion in vogue to have a podcast, right? It was like a few years ago when the book craze. You got to publish a book. You got to write your own book. And now it's everyone needs to have a podcast. And I tell everyone, I go, if you don't have the initial passion for it, don't even bother. Someone's just telling you to do it because you have to love it. The amount of work that goes into not just the production, but the research, the time, because it's the quality of the product. It's the quality of the conversation. And that comes from research and planning and doing the work. You got to put in the work. Like anything else in life, you got to put in the work to get the quality. Clint, is there, do you have a dream guest that you'd love to have on your show that you know either you've reached out to, been rejected, or... Someone at the top of that mountain, you're like, yeah, I would love to have this person on my show. Oh, gosh. I, I could literally chew your ear off. Uh, Barack Obama? Well, Michelle Obama? I know they Oprah listen to Winfrey. my show. I know Barack <laughs> listens to my show, so Barack, you know, we'll connect on that. I'll put, I'll, put in the good, I'll put in the good word for you. Yeah, I mean, that'd be a fascinating. He's one of the greatest orators um, of all time. So let's, let's, let's bring it home here. And in one of your blogs, you talked about the scariest thing you've ever done, which is stand-up comedy. And you said your first and second sets <laughs> bombed. Um, but what is like, give us, give us like your favorite joke, you know, that, that you were, uh, that you thought would land. You're like, I, I've said this in the mirror. I've said this to my friends. I've killed it at holiday parties. What's your go-to joke? Oh gosh. Th- this is going back. This is welcome to pause on this. <laughs> Stand up on the pause. Please welcome to the stage. No, oh, my Lindsay. goodness. Um, What's I, the deal? Well, you know, I, 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 I have a very, uh, probably warped uh, you know, sense of humor. And I, I had a bit that had to do around the naming of insects. And there's a, um, I don't know if they have them in your neck of the woods, but there are these bugs that, uh, that uh, manifest during the summers called no Have you heard of this? Is it like a cicada kind of locusty? No, it, it's just a tiny, tiny little thing, smaller than a flea. You can't even okay. see. But as you walk around, they jump up on your leg and they bite you and bite you. It's terrible. Um, but the name of it is no That That's the name. And so I had this whole routine around, I'd love to be, you know, flying the wall, listening to that, that creative brainstorming session or what are we going to call this? Wow, you know, right, a- right, after right. they finish like, naming the fly, the fly. And then know, they, get, they, 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 they get to this point. No, that's, that's, uh, that, are you a, are you thinking of attempting it again once we open back up? Or are you done? Was that like a phase, the stand-up? You know, I'll, just- I'll tell you, it was, well, I'll tell you what I learned from it, actually, as long as you bring it up. I had this naive notion that, you know, you I'm always having my, my <laughs> friends in stitches at cocktail parties, right? I'm a funny guy. People always say, oh, my God, you should do stand-up. And then I go, and you completely bomb. And you're like, I don't get it. Well, the reality is, like a lot of things, just like doing this podcast, it's an art. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's easy. I just ask some questions. What's the big deal? It's an art form and it takes a lot of work, a lot of work. And I don't think I appreciated that. The best comedians in the world, they spent, if you go and listen to their stories, sometimes two, three years bombing over and over and over to audiences full of just nothing but crickets with nothing that landed to refine and refine and refine till they finally could develop a five minute routine. And I wasn't prepared to do that. And so I didn't feel like if I wasn't prepared to put in the work, then I shouldn't be doing it. And, and to that point, you know, Seinfeld's one of, he would be on my list of top people I would love to have on my show. I'm a huge Seinfeld fan. And I don't know if you've seen the documentary about his process. I mean, we're talking yes. thousands of yellow legal yeah. pads and, and he is perfectionist. I mean, he, 
he is a scientist of of the stand up routine and and I anyone out there check out uh Seinfeld documentary it's incredible. So let's bring it home here Glenn. As I mentioned before, you know, this show is my masterclass and there's a few questions that I ask every guest. So Glenn, what is the greatest single greatest piece of advice that you've ever received that you take action on every single day of your life? Greatest piece of advice I've ever received which I take action on. I mean, it's sort of a cliche, but you know, you've got two ears and one mouth. So listen more than you talk. Simple math, people. Simple yeah. math. And you end every show with asking your guests to define excellence. So Glenn, please define excellence. Oh, darn it. You knew it was coming. <laughs> I mean, I'd be a shitty host if I didn't ask that question back to you. I, I think the ultimate answer for me is feeling like you've lived up to your own expectations of yourself. Not with others, not friends, family, society, but that you've lived up to your own expectations of yourself and that you feel content. I don't love the word happy, um, but I like the word content. And... I guess that's how I'm feeling these days in my life. And so from that perspective, from that vantage point, I feel like I've done some degree of excellence. I would say so. And, and last but not least, you look back on your life and your career, those early days, the ups and downs when you didn't feel like a success and you had to pull yourself up. And you mentioned the word which resonates with me so deeply and what this show is all about is tenacity. And you had to dig down deep and harness that inner tenacity to pull yourself up. On the flip side of it, when you look back now, this awesome show you've created, the success that you've had, feeling content, what keeps you focused, Glenn? What is your compass? Glenn, what is your North Star? I think my North Star is that I really like to inspire others. That's the North Star. It's not anything other than feeling that I've made a difference in other people's lives. And if I can do that in some form or fashion, I feel really good. Awesome. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. No, oh, thank you for having me. This is uh, a little bit nerve wracking being on this side of the mic. Yeah. Um, but love to you. You're a great interviewer. Thank you for doing this, Adam. I greatly appreciate it. And everyone at home, please check out the art of excellence.com. Glenn, where could folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Uh, well, theartofexcellence.com is certainly one way, and uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, you can find me on Twitter, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, Agon Zender is where I do the executive search, and you can find me there, and so whichever way you like. Good stuff. And everyone listening at home, in your car, on your walk, getting out of your house, hopefully lockdown is over wherever you are. But I appreciate you. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review comment, share it. It goes a very long way. You can find out more at thepodcast.com. Connect with us all on all of our social channels. Remember, take care of each other, wash your hands, stay six feet apart, and catch us next week for another great episode of The podcast. Take care. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon.
jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.